Michael. Luke, pleasure to see you again. As always. What's been going on in your world? Well, you're looking much more harried than you were last time we, 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 we recorded. What do you, you mean? You must have been very busy since. Uh, yeah, very busy. Yeah. Very busy. Yeah. January's really just gone nuts, to be yeah. honest. Like, it feels like no one ever actually went on a break in hospitality. Are you seeing the same thing? I'm not sure. I've just been off in Singapore. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it's been amazing being over there, hey. Like, yeah. uh, went and uh, visited Jason Crawley's Imperial oh, yeah. Shaking yeah. Machine. Didn't make it to Raffles Longbar on this occasion, but hung out with, uh, I don't know, the, a number of Australians over there mm. in decent hospitality businesses and, um, and doing great things as well as... Um, Yep, I have mixed feelings about because you know they're they're doing great things over there, which means they're not doing them here really. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it is um, the Singapore scene just continues to evolve um, from a food and drinks perspective, and uh, yeah, well headed to being I guess the dining capital of the world. I think it's um, I'm seeing that more and more to be honest. The, the hunger or the appetite for Australian hospitality talent overseas is phenomenal. You know, it's. Um, Right throughout Southeast Asia, um, even if you're looking in kind of the Middle East, for example, um, there's some really and, and the, the lure typically is is money. Um, there's some exceptional salaries being offered in those locations, but also, I guess, the freedom to do some pretty interesting thing. The budgets are different, salary expect salary. Um, sorry, wages are, are different for casual staff, so you're able to you're able to execute with more people around you to typically a higher quality as a result. So it's um, it's pretty attractive for a lot of people once they hit a ceiling in Australia, that's for sure. Yeah, and as well, at least out of Singapore, a number of people are basing themselves in Singapore and then building businesses into mm. Malaysia, into Indonesia, into yeah. Hong Kong, um, out of that market as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was a great, great trip. Um but uh, good, good to be back in the room. Who, who we got on the podcast today? Hey, we have Kent Anderson, uh, Kent, part owner in the old joint owner in a couple of pubs with with Marty Short predominantly. Um, so he's been in the pub game for a really long time. He actually inducted me and trained me in my first role um, within hospitality, pretty much. Um, first time I entered, I guess, the world We won't, we won't hold that against him. No. Uh, and super well-connected guy. He hosts the um, the Pub Leader Summit every year, or MCs it. Um, and he's recently launched Candu Academy, which is a, a training platform um, targeted at the hospitality sector, obviously. But uh, look, he'll share more details around that. But th- there's a there's a range of different topics that we'll talk about with Kent. But um, yeah, just a, just a really good guy and very very passionate about the industry, which is why we've got him on. Great. So uh, today, welcome, Mr. Ken Anderson. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for joining. It's been begging us for a long time to get onto the podcast, so it's good. (laughs) (laughs) So we're all. So for those that don't know Kent Anderson, and there's probably not that many, um, owner in a couple of pubs. Yep. Tudor. The uh, yeah, got the Tudor Hotel in Redfern, and about 100 metres down the road from that, we've got uh, Misfits Bar and Dining and the Glenmore Hotel in the Rocks. Yeah, which everyone in Sydney pretty much would have to have been to at some point in time. Mate, the Glenmore's a favourite. It's uh, it, it's one of my sort of personal favourites of all pubs. Been there for a while and uh, we kind of knew that joint had, um, to, you know, we knew it would do well but it surprised us with, with how well and, uh, mate, we love it. Now we're going to, this is actually totally off script but um, it just reminds me, you took that on... 
it was well, it was part of Keystone essentially at the beginning, wasn't it? When that kind of well, that's that's a pretty tangled story. Yeah, um, but so I'd been working with Keystone uh, for a while before that, or even before it was Keystone, mm. but down at Cargo and and the yeah. Aussie and a bit with you, but back in those days, yeah, and um, discovered. The potential in the Glenmore, yeah. being next door, next door to the Aussie, um, but got a hold of that individually, always with an eye to bringing the shorts into it as yeah. well. Uh, but for a number of reasons, it ended up just uh, I sort of went into it. The short boys came in later, so we got absorbed into Keystone, the yeah, Keystone yeah, right, group, right. Yeah. for that for that period of time. And th- and then now it's gone back to Marty and I. Yeah, but that I guess I raised that because it's a fairly interesting example of someone claiming an asset that is uh, full of potential. If you compare that to what that was when you first took it on, like I still yeah. remember the floorboards were shocking. Obviously, there wasn't a yeah. rooftop at the time. Oh, no, there was. That's right. But you felt drunk because it was so slanty. You Correct. could not walk straight on it. And, and you, you're almost right in saying it wasn't there at the time because I don't know if it was legally there or not or what yeah, right. the go was back then. <laughs> right. But it was pretty, pretty, yeah, it was pretty shifty. It had all that old... Astro turf, yeah, and, yeah, that's it was, right. and, and you, you, yeah, you stood on, on a slant on either side of the slant of the roof. Yeah, felt like you were pissed when you weren't. All it was the, a crappy old camber, wasn't there? No there was sun, no rain protection at all. Like if it rained, none it was of that. A few out. old umbrellas that would get blown over with the wind, mm. was, and uh, you had all that perspex, all that cracked perspex around the <laughs> side. Right. It was just like a bit of an afterthought. Mm. Yeah, and, um, but yeah, it doesn't. With the exception of the exterior, which is the same, it doesn't bear a lot of resemblance to, to what it is now. It was pretty old and run down, but you could see the potential in it mm. pretty instantly. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, people get romantic for, oh, don't change it, don't go ruining it. Yeah. You're like, ruining it, mate, it can only get better from here. We're not going to take the soul out. We wanted to sort of lovingly restore it with yeah. sort of how we and make it fulfil its potential. Yeah. But uh, we just wanted to see it operating the way it's operating now and just making a lot of people happy like it's a really good like feel good venue mm. yeah. yeah well we'll come back around to the pubs but sure. I guess the other aspects of your experience or your current you know I guess work life host of the pub leaders summit uh, yep. MC sorry pub leaders summit that's something you've been doing for a little while correct yeah I enjoy doing that any sort of ways to get involved in um, in the industry it's a fun industry mm. good people and um had a bit to do with intermedia yeah. uh, over the years, written the odd article here or there. And, um, and uh, yeah, I enjoy getting hospitality people together or being a part of that in those uh, conferences. I find them valuable. Yeah, right. And yeah. Um, finally just launched or, or I guess fairly in startup mode with Can Do Academy. Yeah, yeah. So Can Do Academy that we was Anastan and I do, my business partner and I, we started Can Do uh, about probably 18 months ago, sort yeah. of getting down to brass tacks and only sort of went to market towards the end of last year after yeah, right. putting all, all the, the pieces together. Okay. But it's, yeah, it's, it's grown grown pretty quickly. Mm. I think that there's been a real need for it in the industry. Do you want to just give us some kind yeah, of broad sure. strokes around what, what that is? So uh, essentially it's just a, a faster, cheaper, easier way of training hospitality staff. Right. Uh, we recognise a real need for it um, in so far as... So it's on-the-go training app-based mm. um, and what we really noticed, and I'm sure as an operator you've, uh, you've probably had these same frustrations where you're dealing with an industry often of 
you know, backpackers and uni students mm. who mm. have a casual approach to their casual job. Yeah. And you're sitting there trying to get the most out of them and you're worried about, well, like, how do we invest in them and then they leave or we spend mm. all this time and money and you're running around as a, an owner-operator trying to put out fires. And so for me it was born out of a lot of frustration. Yeah. Um, within that I thought there's, there's got to be a smarter way to do this. And a lot of the existing training that's out there is really, um, it's what Anna San and I call bad training. It's boring, academic and dry. And for us, we were like, look, man, like, hospitality is a fun industry. We're not, we're not selling insurance here. It's mm. like you're in the business of good times. Like mm. if you look at it, you know, you've you got food, you've got booze, you've got entertainment. It's a fun industry. It's a flirtatious industry. You've got all these cool things about it, yet when it comes to the training, it's just this really old school kind of, yeah, this really formal theory-based training Yeah, and often not local training. A lot of it's kind of um, either American training, which a lot of it just doesn't apply here, you know, or a lot of the formal Swiss-based training. Mm. It's just not practical. So we said we wanted to take uh, all the stuff that we knew from pubs as well as Anasan and I have both been uh, business coaches, uh, owner and um so I've been a business coach and performance coach for um, probably around 10 years now. Yeah. Anna San, probably on 20. Yeah, right. And we've worked with a lot of businesses, like hundreds of uh, businesses and a lot of them, the majority of them being hospitality businesses. And we just gobsmacked at the lack of training mm. in, in the industry. And there were some pretty specific areas there that we thought we could target uh, right. and change. And make it easier for owners and operators, but also for staff as well. You know, like the teams, that they, they want to grow. Mm. They want to learn. They want to get better. And I think too many people have just decided to just say, oh, bugger it, it's too hard. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even going to bother. And there are some even successful businesses, I mean shitty businesses and successful businesses, who just still seem to just skip the investment in training mm. and even for the successful ones, it's like, man, you could be so much better than you already are mm. but by just investing in, in this sort of thing. Do you find that's a hard conversation or typically is there a, a consistent response that you get when you're having that conversation with business owners? Uh, that's the reasons why they why they don't do it because it interests me as well as to why. Yeah. Because we both come from the same hospitality background I guess from an operational perspective yep. where it was just training was just a part of what you did and you tried to do it to a high standard but yep. since leaving Keystone for me personally pretty much every business I went to there was either no commitment to training or very little yep. which quite surprised me yep. sounds like your experience is fairly similar it's, yeah. it's interesting to I guess diagnose why that's the case well, I think a lot of it's, well, that's just how we've always done it. This is how I was shown. This is how, you know. And in, in terms of resistance, we've actually been pretty pleasantly surprised with coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, because it's more of a financial investment and more heavily involved. You know, there can be resistance to that. Then once they start the coaching, it's fine. But with a, a simpler, faster, sort of cheaper model, like, you know, the app, mm. There's been a much better response to that. Yeah, We've right. been quite positive around that. But some of the resistance that you do meet is, oh, yeah, this is how, how we've always done it. Um, and sometimes ego-based, well, what do I need? You know, people see it. And you can get that in hospitality. But a, a lot of the macho side of publicans mm. yeah, is often there and in maybe restaurateurs can have some ego attached yeah, to, totally. to what they do and... You know, and then some of the foodies can be like, well, I'm an artiste and I won't be told how, you know, so there's a lot of that. But usually 
there's some pretty logical conversations we'll have when we sit down and it usually goes around, okay, so what do you do for your induction at the moment? Because mm. the way I see it, the biggest problem is the most common problem. I've seen this a lot from a coaching point of view and because you're in this unique position where you get to deal with all these businesses you know you get this in insight mm. and you see that all these businesses that are supposedly so different have all got these same things in common and one of them is they're just so fixated on pleasing their customers that they see their team as these morons who get in the way and bugger it up and all, all that kind of thing so you know they're, they're trying to focus on the customers trying to focus on the customers staff are getting in the way where it's, it's like you know what and from the outset invest in your team Right, mm. like from induction through to reviews, uh, through to you know your meetings and communication, through to training and growth, all that. So invest in your team. Your team will take care of your customers. Your customers will then invest in your business and spread word of mouth. The business will put money back in your pocket, which you then go and invest back in the team to keep pleasing your customers, to put money into your business, which comes back to you. And, and that cycle's just, just going to go on and on. Um and so when I ask people, that's why I ask, like, so what, how are you investing in your team? What is it that you do, for instance, when people first start? And they say, well, what do you mean? Go, well, what do you do? Okay, so for induction, what do you do? And the most common answer by far is, oh, we, we, we just get someone to show, we, we get someone to show our, an existing staff member to, to, to show yeah, them around. Them around yeah. And so you're like, oh, yeah, the buddy system. They're like, yeah, the buddy system. You're like, right. So we get one staff member to pass their shitty habits on to the new <laughs> staff member. Yeah. And they said, like, yeah. I said, because you were just complaining about your staff, right? Why are you getting them to pass those shit habits on? And then they pass those shit habits on to the next one and the next one. And, you know, when you, like, make a copy of a copy of a copy and it just gets grainier and grainier, <laughs> it gets worse, and you're wondering why you're going backwards. So this is your solution for, for what you're doing. So even if it's if it's not ours, just something, man. Like, you've got to do mm. something better than that. I mean, the buddy system's a start, but you've got to do more than that. And... The other thing that happens a bit with that buddy system or those initiations is even if they're good staff members, when you've got a few of them doing it with time, there's a bit of Chinese whispers that goes on. You know, there's this mixed messages. Mm. One person does it this way, another teaches that way, and everyone gets these slightly different messages and sometimes extremely different messages. Whereas at least uh, with our app, we've got sort of we've got expert advice that's been crafted and worked and it's the one consistent message mm. that everyone's receiving again and again and again. And our big thing is it's not uh, an or, like do your buddy system all this or do your official induction all this. It's an and. It's, it's meant to complement other training, not replace it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And um, give us a bit of it. I mean, it's, it's not an ad. I'm not trying to lead you into yeah, like yeah. a huge promo, but yeah. what kind of businesses are you working with and seeing results in? So being uh, being pubs, we've mm. traditionally uh, so having a pub background. I, I thought that's the best way to start. Mm. Although we're now starting to, to branch into some uh, restaurants and cafes and the likes. But um, we started off uh, the Cicada Group with the first guys on board. So we worked with um, Art House. They got uh, in the city, the Great uh, Northern, up in Newcastle. Uh, they've just had the Deck Bar over in uh, Dy. And then we've worked uh, the White House Group. Yeah. We've got uh, the Beach Road Hotel in in Bondi, the uh, the Vicar mm -hmm. uh, up in Dural, and then we've got the uh, oh and the, and the Tilbury in Woolloomooloo. We got the War Hotel Group and P PHMG, so Rose Bay Hotel and yeah. Dorellan and some of those uh, Pado pubs like the uh, 
you know, the Wallara Hotel and, uh, and the Royal and the Fori and all, all those ones, or back in the day. So, yeah, they're, they're the, the main groups we've been working with and we're doing some stuff um, with uh, the Maloof boys who've got uh, the oak down at Double Bay, Caves, yeah. Beach up the coast. So, yeah, lots of those. We're, we're starting to find as well we're getting a bit of interest from um, more regional areas too where they don't have the same access to human resources mm. that, that you might have in the big smoke Yeah, and often have to be hands-on and don't have the time to go and invest. In, and, and often, you, you know, that they have a more scarcity of talent there, you know, of, you know or even the population, so they just need something else to help. So that's actually starting to open up for us quite a bit too. How do you find, I mean, this ties back to talent and skills shortage, obviously being in recruitment, see that very, very consistently. Um, what's your perspective on that and, and, and I guess some of the, the reasons? I mean, Mike's obviously doing a lot of work on the industry as a whole. Yep. seems both of you are working on the industry Mm. Well, maybe all three of us are, in a sense. Yeah. Me, probably less so out of the three of us. But Mike's trying to improve nighttime economy, late night economy. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess maybe minimise some of the impacts of the the, the legislation, legislative impacts on the industry as a whole. You're trying to improve service standards, mm-hmm. um, essentially, I guess, at, at the yeah. bottom. But that kind of comes from... standards, yeah. Yeah, from... A lack of skills already existing in the market, which is a, a real challenge yep. for you because you're having to upskill people. Yep. But they're, they're kind of mutual issues, right? Like, yeah, I think so. And I, like the question that's going through my mind with uh, what you're talking about there, Kent, is is there a connection to the transience of the workplace, like for both from a, um, I guess, in air quotes, millennial perspective, but also uh, foreign labour? So you're dealing with, in you know, if you sort of think about, old school, like mm. single pub owners, family generation, like mm. there's a yeah. sort of natural progression of, or passing down of skills or habits anyway. But yeah. then now we're in large group territory and you've got labour shortage and potential mm. uh, people looking for short-term employment over long-term employment. Is an element of that maybe? Yeah. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, I just did. And an attraction to the industry as well. Like, I mean, if you look at domestic talent, like I remember when you acquired the Glenmore, the type mm. of people that you had working in that business mm. it was domestic yep. talent, right? Yep. You had GPS um, graduates who, pretty, you know, pretty much that rugby yeah, crowd. From, from they were um, social circles. I could name 10, 10 guys and girls that, you know, would have been from the same social circles. You yep. don't tend to see that as much anymore from my perspective. Yeah. The, the uh, quality is the wrong word, um, but the type of talent... Mm. style of talent that's coming into the industry now is very different to what it was. And I think it's your issue and it's your issue, right? Yeah, like, yeah that's where I'm getting, going to. Yeah. And I've noticed that I guess just in being a customer really, like over, over 10 years watching the change in the workforce Yeah, and um, and, the, and the change in how people absorb information really. So to me, like app-based mm. learning and so on is didn't exist 10 years ago because we didn't have the infrastructure. Mm. But um, you know, the I think it's kind of maybe a convergence of all those things. Yeah, totally. That um, you know, there's that 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 might be where you're potentially filling the gap. Yeah. I think from an operator's point of view, I guess there's 
you know, the industry's changing like that and you say it's more transient and diverse. Uh, there's also, you know, with, with the changing face of, of your teams and, and what they look like, part of that's by choice as well. You know, I think in the early days you start off, you hire people you know, yeah. you, you, you mm-hmm. hire friends and relatives and you make all those mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, like by, I mean, there's a time and place for it but as a business gets bigger, you realise it's got to survive outside of you on your own two feet and your personal connections and, you know, you, any of your promotional events that, that you're having, you get all your mates to come and support you. And then yeah. when you start thinking bigger, you're like, I can't be reliant on my network to keep this joint. So, you know, you start thinking bigger and you start – and from a staff point of view, it's like, well, yeah, and then as you grow, all that stuff's just natural. You know, you start marketing differently, you start recruiting differently. But it's also handy to have a bit of a mix to have some, you know, to have some – backpackers and to have some locals and to have some people who you know who feel like family and all that mm. just, just to get that mix. I think in terms of from Candu's perspective, uh, there's two parts to it. There's one, uh, trying to change the industry, like you were saying, all three of us in, in some way. We'd like to see uh, the industry improved in certain directions. But the other side of the coin is just accepting what is and saying, all right, well, if that's how it is, we've got to play it how it is, right? Yep. So it's like, you know, you hear a lot of uh, operators sort of whinging and kicking stones a bit about, oh, Gen Ys and millennials and yeah. they're this and they're that. It's like, well, dude, accept it, mate. Like that, that's just lean into it a bit. That, that, that's how it is. And, you know, you're going on about our whole thing was it's like, oh, all these young punks are addicted to their phones and, and they've got short attention spans. It's like, well, great, we're putting your training on an app with two-minute presentations. You know, like roll with it. Mm. Don't, you know, you don't have to constantly be sitting there resisting what is. Yeah. You've you got to adapt to that. So that's uh, I, I think it's that balance changing it between changing things to, to how you want it to be but rolling with what is. Mm. I think and, and our hunger within the candidate or talent pool as well is there's there's two sides, right, like, the vibrancy of the industry is not where it was, you know, historically, I guess. So the ability to change that or the potential to change that would, I guess, encourage more people to come into the industry, which would create competition around jobs, which would generate more hunger for knowledge to give you a competitive advantage over the people that you're competing with for work. Yep. Um, which would solve, you know, a lot of issues from the talent perspective as well. Yeah, and, and I think when you talk about talent shortages or issues, there's also the idea that look, training can overcome a lot of things, mainly because hospitality, it's not rocket science. Mm. You know, it's not hard. Now, there are certain exceptions, say, you know, like highly skilled chefs and that, sure. But generally speaking, hospitality, the skills in it are there to be learned and they can be picked up pretty quickly with some yeah. basic commitment. And so within training, you really, by having effective training and creating the right culture, you should be able to overcome those. Don't get me wrong. There are certain ex- exceptions and I know the 457 visas have thrown a huge spanner in the yeah. works. Um, I've worked with companies, particularly like I've worked with a few bakeries like bakery slash cafes, bakery slash brew houses and mm. all these things and, you know, something as simple as like pastry chefs, right? They Generally speaking, they're all, they're all French and, they're, and, you know, you get some from Southeast Asia. But it's just since the 457s, it's mate, they just literally they can't find any. They're like, mm. we're a bakery and we can't find pastry chefs. So there's definitely some challenges there. But I think you've also just got to look at it and go, yeah, you can bemoan on the majority of these things. You can bemoan the lack of talent or skill, but you should be able to develop that talent and skill yourself. Mm. There's that and without 
going too tangential, the other element to it which I see, particularly through nighttime lens, is that there's a diversification in customer and mm. uh, and that, you know, is um, evident to me. Different different preferences for entertainment, consumption, you know, yes. there's the trends towards like um, uh, alcohol consumption per capita is dropping, you know, these yep. and these like the, the same changes that um, are seen as challenges within staff potentially are actually also the change in customer customer dynamic. Yep. You know, there's um, mm. uh, the increasing Muslim population that to which alcohol doesn't apply. Right? Yeah. So as a business, how yeah. are you adjusting to that? And it's uh, I, I kind of really like what you said about um, you know what can you change and what what you can't. But the the thing sometimes too, and I see this all the time, is going guys like you've got a change in audience coming, and you, you haven't sort of clocked onto that. Yeah. And that's where we're seeing, I guess, like the Evolution, say, if you look in at the lens of, uh, from my perspective, um, working with small bar owners who are growing mm. up now into the restaurant space or mm. into the pub space, even, uh, yeah, they've some of them are cottoned onto this and yeah. sort of thought about that and the type yeah. of product that they offer. Well, it's 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 a bit like employ, um, I guess. you know, it's it's a more challenging uh, customer base now. Expectations have risen through the roof. Everyone's snapping everything on social media and, and sharing it. Something's yeah. wrong, and everyone's a freaking expert, like, like really quickly. You know, they watch it because of, because of, of MasterChef. Ba- maybe knowledge-based apps, mate. That's yeah. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blaming MasterChef. They watch it, think they are a MasterChef, and then yeah, but all, all these uh, kind of things. So, and every, you know, everyone's a foodie. Everyone's this. Everyone's that, and, and that's fine. But expectations have, have mm. gone uh, through through the roof, and. Um, You've, and also, like, even as you were talking about, like, like something interesting like that, like a, you know, Muslim population mm. changing expectations and that, but you do, you've got to adapt, you know. There's yeah. that, okay, accept what is and change what you can, but, you know, but adapt where need be. I think, you know, the, the other one, it's like I hear chefs and, and GMs and that all the time laughing about all these precious wankers with their vegetarian this or gluten-free that. It's like, guys, wrong answer. Like, fucking get on board. Like, mm. this is just, it, it's, you know, ridiculous. And from my point of view as well, um, I, I don't know, I've just seen it enough that whether you agree or disagree with that diet, it doesn't matter. It's here and it's happening and they're your customer and it's not about you, it's about them. You know, you, you should be treating your, your customers like they're guests in your home. Mm. You know, they're, they're not customers, they're guests. And if you're going to come in there and ridicule a guest in your home because of something, it's you know you you got got to adapt and be helpful, and think about what it is that that they're after. Um, it's it's actually I've not thought about it until right then, and I don't have a very good example to give you. But if you were to put that into any other commercial environment, that appro- that that yeah frame of um, mind yeah like I don't know, I think automotive. How many years ago did everyone start buying SUVs? And if yep. a consumer walked into a car shop and said, "Do you sell SUVs?" and they're like, "Bloody hell, can't believe they're asking for an SUV." Yeah, that car company would no longer be around. Anymore, That's right, right? Yeah, but for some reason, it's not viewed, I guess, with the same kind of level of importance. What a consumer is asking for within yep. a hospitality environment, I think, generally. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's true because it was even happening back in the day, but on a much more simpler basis, like. I remember um, when we were doing a training, probably remember the guy, but anyway, one of the bartenders back at, at Cargo back in the day um, and he was bemoaning the fact about all these stupid customers who, who come up and ask for, you know, like a vodka lime and soda or, a, mm. you know, vo- vodka and 
lemonade or whatever, lemon lime, and he'd sort of roll his eyes and, you know, oh, how boring, like give me something better than that. It's like, Jesus, mate, like it's just the wrong outlook. And now we're, we're, there are so many things, and as you said before, Mike, like, you know, people are drinking less than ever, mm. right, but expectations on food have gone through the roof. People are expecting restaurant-quality food in pubs. Mm. And then restaurants themselves these days are built more like theatres than restaurants, you know, like everything's Couldn't going up. You go over, you know, when you're a kid, you go to, you know, yeah, or, or as a youngster or when you first left school and travel, whatever it may be, you go to Europe and the States or whatever, you know, or you'd look at Sydney and say New York and the gap between them was massive. You go, oh, my God, they've got the coolest things you've ever seen. You go over there now, I mean, the gap's closed and it's you have to be so inventive to come up with new concepts and ideas. It's almost like just about everything's been done. Mm. It's just tweaking already existing sort of things. So, but people are still expecting more. So you've got to keep trying to come up with these new creative ideas to do it. People's expectations are up and it's the same with, with the customer service and customer engagement. Mm. Uh, everyone's expecting this high level of service and if, if you're not keeping, keeping up with it, you're going to be well behind, let alone ahead of it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, some of the guests that we've had on thus far and I kind of see what you're saying. I don't think I'm disagreeing overly, but, uh, you know, we had Dushan Zorik from Employees Only. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That recipe has not changed since 2004. You know, you hear Josh Nyland on the podcast and essentially what's underpinning it is mm. that true spirit of hospitality, which is the, the non-interchangeable bit of the whole equation. So yeah. the craft beer, the artisan soda, the... You know, whatever the skin contact lines or whatever, yep. are the, not the gimmick so much, but an interest point to get someone in maybe. Yep. But if you can't back it up with that fundamental hospitality piece, then the customer doesn't come back. And we see... Yeah, we see the hospitality yeah. formula hasn't changed. No, that's, that's what sure. I guess I'm going, go, yeah. going to. But there has been a period as we look back in the last sort of 10 years where, well, from my lens, where there's that... Uh, it's new. It creates that itch you've got to scratch, right? So you don't know about this. You need to find out about it. That's yep. kind of what's driven the master chef generation of cooking. It's driven the, um, you know, mm. in, in bar scenes, it's been driven by cocktail awareness and, uh, and 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 in pubs to some degree by craft beer. And of course, now what we want is just a, a good beer. You yeah. know, yeah, um, right. we've learned, we've learned, we've been educated on the product. But so we've seen quite a bit through the timeout lens mm. of that. Um, uh, operator that kind of quickly launches multiple venues off concepts, but if they're not, and they can work, they can they work. Can. I think, but they, if they're not underpinned by that fundamental um, hospitality genome, then they kind of are there for two years, three years, and then they sort mm. of go away. I guess. Yeah, it's it, totally. That's that's kind of um, it's a topic that I, I actually think about a lot. Yeah, because, I can see it. Yeah. Well, it's just yeah. that it's I, I my personal opinion is that they're heavily. Um, Thematic or or no, gimmicks probably the wrong word because mm. if this there's a, if there's real quality behind it I don't think it could be called it should be called a gimmick but mm. I think there's a lifespan around that yeah, kind of hospitality totally. I think there's a resting point for most people where they're happy with a certain level of service a certain level of product and that's where they're happy to go it's like the cheers kind of mentality yeah. you know what I mean yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'll well, try these places once but it won't become their resting point it won't be where they are happy to go three or four times a month or yeah, however totally. frequently. If it's overly that's, – that's what I'm glad you – I'm glad you use the word gimmicky because it's such a fine line between having a concept where everything is on brand and on song mm. and you can feel it. It's authentic. And, yeah, having that authenticity. Like you look at the um, – I think the, the Swillhouse group guys do a great job mm. of just knowing what they are yeah. and, and going on. they got that whole – 
and it's an Americana theme between all their, their venues and they find obscure places and they're very clever in the way they do it. But it, to me, it doesn't feel gimmicky. It doesn't feel tacky. It feels mm. authentic. Mm. You go, go to other places and you, and you can very quickly just sort of be like, ah, yeah, they've done this here and they've set it up for a franchise and, and you can feel it. Yeah. Whereas between, the, you know, like with those wheelhouse ones, you, you look between, you know, Baxter and Shady Pines and Hubert and, uh, Hubert's and all that. They've all, you know, they've got similar things, but they all feel authentic and unique enough that, yeah. that they'll get you back there. It's hard to achieve. It is. Yeah, Not and, 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 and fundamentally. Without it being contrived. And, and fundamentally, yeah. they, as in that space in particular, they're the number one mm. uh, um, beacon for talent. Yeah. You know, like the, the best of the biz are kind of drawn to working in those environments and so they get totally. their pick of talent, you know, like a Hubert um, is a, just a... A stud all-star cast most nights, yeah, you know, of rotating hot talent coming into an outer state. But um, mm. it, it goes back to that thing. I think that there's an – when while you look at the superficial, what's actually drawing you back is to know that they're going to treat you well. Yeah. 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 And oh, I think that idea as well um, sort of, yeah, the, the customer service engagement and being treated well, definitely that. But I think um, ambience – atmosphere is just more important than ever. I mean, there are places, mm. I mean, you can go to a lot of places with rude staff and pretty average food, but they're just packed because they just feel cool <laughs> when you walk in there and they're just, this is awesome. Like That's the, yeah. that's the other, uh, the other. I guess, um, there's a couple of uh, questions, you know, the customer or, or staff member, which one's yeah. first, yep. and then product or service, which one's more important. Yeah. It's 100%. There's, there's yeah. businesses that I've looked at over my career and just gone, how the fuck are you busy? Like, yeah. you know, the staff are, they're doing everything wrong, yeah. but there's just something about them that people are just drawn to. Their fridges don't work. They've got lights out everywhere. Like all that stuff that just gets hammered into you yeah. when you work for someone like Fraser Short or yeah. Dunks or those kind of people. Yeah. Marty. Bloody in particular. Um, but <laughs> details, just, details. <laughs> Coaster is in the incorrect spot and you can spot her from fucking 500 metres away. Yeah. The, uh, but they just they don't, do, they don't give a shit about any of that stuff and they have long-term success. It's, it's Yeah. There's no um, magic bullet, is there? No, I mean, you can it, – it's true. You, you look at the, the different factors. Are you going to compete on, you know, on your product? Are you going to compete uh, on price? Are you going to compete on service? And usually, you know, you do, you know, or, or, and, and product being ambience and atmosphere and all that as well. And you've usually got a – they usually come at the expense of the other. Like you can't compete on – you or say we're, we're going to be number one on price and, but we're going to be number one on, on our product and service as well because it's like that's just not going to happen. Like, yeah. like you've got, you got to pick your angle. But, yeah, there's definitely places and I've been other places with great um, service – and, and food and, yeah, and they, and they just – I mean, other places, sorry, have been, you know, you, you go to some little Chinese restaurants with, like, plastic chairs and fluorescent lights and and, 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 they, and, they, and they, they just look so feral but the food is so bloody good. <laughs> yeah. You are just – you're going back there. There's That's no the two thing, ways right? about there's, it. There's like, too many variables in hospitality to be able to really – and then when you add in environment, mm. um, like location, mm. what will work in one neighbourhood will – certainly not work in another like pick up half of Newtown and put it anywhere else in Sydney yeah uh, even the most successful venues there will not work in the yep. CBD for example yep. um, yeah well the, the bikes that uh, it's like when I think it was in the 90s sort of early 90s sort of around mid 90s Hilton 
hotels. I'm pretty sure it was Hilton. They had this chain of really old school fancy restaurants where you would go in and, and very sort of formal and you'd wear like a suit and tie and they'd have like the black tie orchestra playing in, you know, with mm. white gloves, you know, for silver service and mm. you can go. And it was killing it in the States. They were doing really, it was taking it back to another ear and that. Uh, and the bloke who was doing them within Hilton, he actually opened up, I think, uh, Chicane, the old Chicane. Oh, yeah. Back in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he was a part owner in that. He's this uh, American bloke. And, he, and when they came out and they, did it here. And I could be wrong. I'm not sure if it's Hilton, but I'm sort of 80% sure it is. And they came out to do one in Sydney and he just said, forget it. He's like, <laughs> do not do it. Forget it. And they were like, it. oh, what are you talking about? It's like, you know, it's killed it everywhere else. Of course it's going to kill it here. And, you know, which is like what they said about Starbucks too, you know, yeah. like it's taken over yeah. the world. Why won't it work in Australia? Uh, wrong. Shit. Yeah, your coffee's <laughs> shit. And Australia does coffee bloody well and, yeah. and cafe culture well. But, he, you know, the, the idea was it's like, mate, this is a... Uh, the biggest island in in the South Pacific, or the biggest island in the world, technically, but it's mm. like in this big island in the South Pacific, everyone's pr- pretty casual. They're, they're not going to go for it. Yeah. And it was the only one where it, it bombed. And, you know, yeah, you're right. You've just got to pick the right mm. right places. I mean, there, there's there's no formula that's just going to work everywhere. No. And that's that adapting thing as well. Right. And how, what about, uh, just out of interest then, what your, in terms of, say, um, Misfits and Tudors, so... You kind of on that topic of adaptation because yep. Redfern as an example of an area that's yeah. one of the areas that's changing mm. yeah. rapidly in Sydney and therefore giving rise, I think, to some of those like yeah. observations. What what what's sort of gone on with you thinking about those venues? Redfern's awesome. Like we've, uh, it's very different, particularly coming from uh, the Glenmore and W Short. Even with the pubs that Marty has outside of myself, you know they've got. Um, you know, varied. I mean, they're all sort of tradition. Traditionally speaking, they're all like brick and tile pubs, mm. pub pubs, right? Um, but the Glenmore, for instance, is is just never going to be as community based as Redfern. Redfern's all about the locals and the people, and a huge part of that goes into even with the staff that you choose. Mm. You can tell certain personality types just fit it, and you know, you you change your, your beer taps at, at the Glenmore. It's like no one even notices. You move a coaster a millimetre to the left at the at the Tudor in Redfern and every local is up in arms and they all have this, you know, what we call Redfern spirit, this sense of community. They, they feel like they just own it. They're all in it together. And the area is changing so much but there's still a real, it's gentrifying in a, in a big way. And we, um, you know, like we thought it was going to be a bit more of a slow burner than it was, but mm. particularly in the last sort of six, 12 months, you notice every month the scene in Redfern just changes. It's yeah. just picking up yeah. and up. And we, and we, you know, like I say, bought a joint 100 metres down the road because we believe in the area so much. But then, um, you know, so the Tudor is going to be very different to the Glenmore. But then you open Misfits and that's our first one that's probably a bit more funky and bar, restaurant, yeah. dining kind of scene. Down a side alley, up some stairs, all yep. that kind of, and that that's a whole different sort of ball game as well in how how you treat things. But I tend to think, like you were talking about before, the general principles of hospitality haven't changed; mm. they're still there, but the stuff on the surface is. So for me, the style is different, but the basic hospitality principles are, are the same in terms of you know what you know not what you're offering, but in, in terms of, you know, your, your your product and service offer, all that kind of thing, how you get your, your team on board, how you look to engage people, and then your style on the surface, you know. it's 
like with, with misfits, it's like whatever you do, it's like we'll just go and ruffle its hair up a bit before you do it. It's a bit more, you know, it, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, you, you're a, you should be riding a skateboard, not standing mm. there outside the Lord Dudley with your elbow patches on, you know, like it's so you've got to adjust the style, but um, but the basic hospitality principle principle is pretty similar. We first met about a year ago at AHOS. So yep. I don't know your backstory as well as your the man sitting to your right. So mm-hmm. how did you get into hospital in the first instance? Just walking past nice the segue, Michael. Michael. So well yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Pro. Um, a story could have gone so, one or two ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Too. Yeah. So um, oh yes. So was it was when I was when I well debatable when I was uh, I was about sixteen and um, at the time when I first got into hospitality I actually remember I was going to I remember I, was, I got a job at my local video store and um, I'll video remember video. those yeah. video stores yeah so like when I was getting a job at my local video store and it was like the day before I was about to start my old man just sort of looked at me he's like. Serious, like, like like a video store. I'm like, what? He's like, we're well, gonna sit there all day and watch movies and put cassettes in tapes. He's like, mate, get out there, roll your sleeves up, go and do, you know, put in some hard yak and do some proper bloody work and do something useful. And um, at the time, we were living in the mean streets of Watson's Bay, and <laughs> <laughs> and so I went and I went down to uh, Doyle's, um, and yeah, started started working at Doyle's about sixteen, just you know running food and clearing tables and then sort of ended up a wine waiter down the track and all that sort of thing. But, yeah, over that summer I remember just instantly just sort of falling in love with it because for the very reasons uh, that my old man had suggested, like, yeah. like just, uh, you know, probably a wise head on his shoulders, you know, you sort of outdoors and working hard and meeting people and I think... Um, Terrible location though. Yeah. <laughs> it was the bomb, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, I wasn't like in some bikey pub in the western suburbs. It was like not a bad place to start. Um, so that was cool. But I think either, either way, a lot of the things that you like about also just no where you work, sometimes there's something very rewarding about physical work too and you're actually on your feet yeah, and yeah. moving about. If you, I don't care if you're on a building site or whatever, those beers taste sweeter at the end of the shift <laughs> than someone sitting behind it desk all day yeah. you know and you see it in the kitchen a lot too man the, the chefs when they when they their, their beers taste bloody sweet for them after <laughs> yeah. they've you know been been working yeah, hard right. all the time so and uh yeah really enjoy that and and loved just the interaction with with people just meeting uh all sorts of different characters that you, mm. you'd meet outside your uh your normal life and uh i was sort of hooked from there and learned pretty quickly that like um Working through hangovers was character building. That was uh, an important lesson. And then, I don't know, from there um, I went to my old man was uh, in property. He was a property developer and he'd invested in some sites and ended up investing in pubs. And uh, he had one in Kingsford, the Regent Hotel in Kingsford. Oh, yeah. So I ended up working in the in the cellar there for a bit. And then yeah. right at, when I left school I worked at the Royal Hotel in, in Paddo and 
back in those days, this sort of yeah, Friday, Saturday nights, that was like the place mm. to be. It was heaving. Yeah. And, what what and year was, up? What year up? Just to get my So I'm going to say I was there. So I left school in 95. So I'm going to say, yeah, it was sort of like 96, 97. Mm. And, um, when Paddington was. And, yeah, Paddington yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, Paddington was really happening. And uh, that was just. That, that was a lot of fun. And for a young bloke as well, you're in there with your mates, there's good sorts everywhere, you're just you're having a blast. So that, that, that was pretty cool. And uh, from there, you know, worked in, I went and studied hospitality over at um, ICMS in Manly, which a lot of people know is that big sort of cathedral or yeah, yeah. up on the hill there in Manly or the castle on the hill as the students now call it. Um, and I just loved it, getting more into the actual sort of science and the art of hospitality and everything from, you know, fine dining to cheeses and cigars to wine to scotch to, you know, working a lot in the kitchen, all that sort of stuff. I, I just just loved it. And then... Um, Can I... Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're still on the board for ICMS, is that correct? Or yes, I'm on, on their advisory board there now. Um, I didn't realise you were a student there. Yep. With your present-day perspective on that um, institution and yep. your... Past experience. Yeah. How, how much has that training or that that style of education changed? Like, has it changed heaps? Like, are they, are they yeah. having to take a different approach to the way that they're doing things in that? Like, because that's yeah, obviously, you know, a really formal institution and yeah, um, well, yeah. Has it has it evolved yeah. drastically? Well, even being a like as a member of the advisory board, the fact they've got an advisory course advisory board to begin with, mm. it shows that they're wanting. To, to stay current and, and ahead of the, the curve. And I took a lot of the things out of my time when I was there. And I said, look, this is great, but you can adjust it here. So, for instance, like, yeah, one of the examples we're talking about with Swiss uh, hospitality style, I was like, mm. but you're in Australia, that that, that style doesn't, it, it, it's not as relevant or, or, or necessary. Yeah. So they adjust the course for it to be more, um, you know, that sort of way. And, and I'm not saying they adjust it because I said it. Like it's, it's like just one of those things that um, and, and things like a lot more um, becoming more practical uh, based rather than theory. Yeah. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they're on the cutting edge of a lot of those things. Yeah, but so um, the course that you went through is drastically different to what they're doing now? Oh, I wouldn't say drastically different. Right. Um, I just think like any sort of switch on business, they're, they're tweaking it to, to stay relevant and go in terms of, you know, how is tourism changing, how are demographics yeah. changing, what do we need to know. Some of the things that we've been talking about before, like customers' expectations and demands, mm. that, that's changing. Everything's changing. How do we adapt with it to incorporate that into our course structure? And as any just personal interest, would you have any insight as to what kind of, uh, percentages make up the domestic versus international student no base idea. in that environment? No, no, no. <laughs> no I, I don't know. I've been, um, it, well, back in my day, uh, I'd say, you know, Australians were the bulk, uh, followed by, I think, Norwegians. And then uh, don't look at me like that. Well, what are you? Look at you like <laughs> yes, they're an ugly race of people, aren't they? <laughs> um, and, and there are a lot of, um, uh, yeah, and in, Indonesians and Southeast sort of Asians and South America. It was actually a real mixed bag right. uh, of people. But um, so that was cool too, like good diverse sort of group. That was, uh, yeah, that, that was good. Not sure of the exact mix. So. I guess another way of asking that question is would you recommend someone wanting to go into hospitality to go into formal education or like formalised hospitality training or, 
you know, sort of I, I, not be able to answer that considering he's on the advisory board. So I've asked the only the hard hitting questions from this corner over here. Um, I, I think it depends what you want to get out of it. Mm. Anything, you know, I, I did it because sort of in the lead up to that, uh, I'd been. I'm just trying to get my exact timings right. It's been a while now. We we're talking about the this 90s, mate, when like you get old, you just don't remember these things. Yeah, but I think um, around then, Marty had approached me to come and work at Cargo right. when I start, first started working with the shorts, and I was sort of doing that. I was doing that casually. I was actually door bitching and didn't didn't didn't, didn't love the old door bitching at, at, at the oh, time. Sort of, it was so much fun. Oh, mate, but <laughs> people think it is. Oh. People seriously do. Like they think it's like some really glamorous thing. You're standing there so in, in, the like with a velvet rope yeah. and and the clipboard and the earpiece so and, and the flash clothes. And it's like, mate, when you're out, do you like the dickhead at the velvet rope with, <laughs> with a clipboard and the Because oh, I don't. I, no one likes that guy. <laughs> like you cough a lot of shit. Anyway, but I started doing that, and then by, by the time, and then quickly moved into sort of supervising and managing. But um, and then started. I just realised I loved it enough that I wanted to make a career of it. Right. And, and I knew it. Um, and I knew it was going to be more um, pubs, bars, restaurants than formal hotel. Yeah, or nightclub accommodation or yeah. nightclub things. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew that, but I, I did know that I wanted to make an industry out of it. And I think, like with anything, if you want to make a real go of it, you know, it depends yeah. on your level of commitment to yeah, anything. I was just you want to make that, a go you know, of it, like for sure. it, it sort of wasn't really a loaded question because I think um, one anyone who wants to become proficient in something is open to learning. So, whatever style they can get it, they see the value in it. You know, so yeah, I, I think it's a personal thing. You, you, I picked up some gems that have served me well there, and. Um. Yeah, there were there were definitely so like I took a lot out of it because that was for me. Yeah. Mm. But but it's like you know the world's full of all tales of, of these su- uneducated successes mm. and all that who, yeah. who don't need that and in and in pubs you know like you can learn hands on. It, it's just up to you. But I got a lot out of it. Like yeah. I really enjoyed it. Good fun. And then and sorry, then, I took totally no, that's right. of course. But um, after that, yeah. So then as at um, cargo, um, and enjoyed that and. Uh, so that was, you know, borderline Keystone days, but yeah. technically uh, uh, the shorts and Johnny Duncan. Yeah. And they had the Australian as well. So that's when I, I went up to the Australian. That was that was when I met you, yeah. I believe. Tex. Uh, Tex. <laughs> mate, do you want to hear, hear a story about? Absolutely, mate. So, so, yeah, so, I know it's going to be false. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this, no. should, this will be the bit that gets edited out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <absolutely>. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only because he's editing it. It's harmless, but it's yeah. like. No, he, uh, I just remembered. So when I was finishing up at the Australian, um, I'd resigned and uh, I think Luke was coming into my role. So in that last sort of week or two. Big shoes to fill, mate. Big shoes to fill. Massive, mm. massive. <laughs> and uh, so I just had to, uh, so, you know, sort of show, showed him the, the ropes. And then we got on pretty well pretty quickly. And then I think it was his first night, uh, like, locking up. And uh, I came back just to come in and say good day and have a beer and check and see how it went. And I look, look through the window, he's sitting there and he's closed up and he's having a quiet end of shift uh, just by himself having a beer and a ciggy. And I look up and he's watching um, Walker, Texas Ranger, the great, <laughs> the great Chuck Norris show like that. And so I leave for a sec. I think I had to drop something in the office and I came back and he's still sitting there watching it. And I, I open the door and sort of come around the corner 
And by the time I see him again, he's quickly, he's adjusted his spot. I look up and he's changed the channel over onto the footy. Like he's just sitting there watching the footy the whole time. <laughs> See, I knew you were and, then it's, and I go, hey, mate, what's doing? And he's like, oh, nothing, mate. Just, just watching. Yeah, yeah. I know, it was the footy. Like, I just watch it, whatever. I'm like, mate, mate, you can put on back what you're watching. <laughs> you know and and he's lie. like, you know he's, like, he's like, what are you talking about, mate? I was like, yeah, walk at Texas Ranger, mate. It's fine. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's <laughs> called me Tex ever since. Ever since. But it's, it's absolutely incorrect because, A, it would have been about one o'clock in the morning. Morning. So there was no footy on. So Mate, there, there, there were super rugby so, games in South Africa on uh, in the wee hours. Uh, I remember because okay. I used to watch them after shifts. So there's your first leg taken out. There was going on in the <laughs> kitchen and I had to sit there for six hours. <laughs> and it was about three o'clock in the morning. There was nothing on TV <laughs> except for Walker, Te- Walker Texas Ranger. But yeah. the question, that isn't the question, though. The question is, did you change the channel? I was 100% watching Walker, <laughs> Texas Ranger. You, 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 mate, you, that's the thing. You were leaning into it. Like, you were into the character. You loved it. it is, Otherwise, it wouldn't have stuck with me so much. I was just like, no. television show. And you very quickly just retracted back. into it. I was like, mate, you're free to like whatever, whatever you want, mate. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. I'm picking up I don't like talking about depressing topics. I, I like to keep things uh, upbeat and positive, but it's bloody terrible, isn't it? It's horrendous. It's terrible. Do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't know I where know to start. nothing to do with hospitality, That's but right. there's a lot of interest in rugby and hospitality. There's mate, pubs and rugby have a strong connection. Do you ever think we will get back to being competitive on the world, world stage based on where, I mean, it's fairly outlandish yeah. to say never, but. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt we will. Do you reckon? Do you oh, know? totally. Because we, really? we, we've just done, we've done all, all, all the wrong things. So we're in the wrong place. It's not, it, 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 starts at, it starts at the top and the model and the way that they've done it. They, I think the best thing to happen to Australian rugby was also the worst thing to happen to Australian rugby. We won two World Cups in mm. 91 and 99, like two Cups in a decade. And the message mm. they got from that was, well, if the Wallabies are doing well, and, you know, subscriptions and registration went up like 200-odd percent and they're yeah. like, well, if the Wallabies are doing well, rugby's doing well. So they put all the money in at the top of the pyramid. And, you know, right. and, and it's like they say, if you're a builder, you, you start at the base and, and build up. And it was much to the neglect of club rugby, grassroots rugby, schoolboy rugby, all these sports like AFL sort of come along and, you know, rugby's like charging people to play. AFL coming and putting on free clinics and playing mm. and this Mate, and that. Amazing. And then the problem is you can't always have, you know, like John Eels and Tim Horans and Stephen Larkins and Georgie Gregans and all these freaks around. When, you know, you, you go through a down patch and the Wallabies aren't doing well, then no one's interested because they're disconnected at that bottom level. So it's just a matter of reshifting it. Mm. And, you know, look, you look at, but also look at the last World Cup. We were shit. Everything was struggling. And then... Michael Checker came in, turned them around. We came pretty bloody close to winning the World That's Cup. True. And everyone and, and the Waratahs won that year in 2004. That was the best year, man. I'm a bunnies, man. Like Waratahs and the Rabbitohs both won in 2014. It was a good day for the Anderson household. Good year. And then, you know, I'm we went on. bunnies then, fan growing up in Watson's Bay. That's why I bought in Redfern, man. I'm, I'm, with, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with my people. <laughs> I live in I moved to Rosebury late last year and I've literally got bunnies painted on my street like permanent paint. Good taste. Yeah. Good taste, mate. So uh, flipping switches again. Yeah. yeah. From rugby to cricket then, where are we? 
Okay. I, what's with these depressing topics? <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> it gets worse. Oh, mate. All the guys in this office over here are Indian and they're bloody into me every day. God. Well, I am, uh, you know, sort of asking that question with that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, Anasan, no, I do. My, my business partner in, uh, in Kandu is, I always say, man, he, he, was, he, he was born in South Africa. Looks Indian, sounds Australian. It's like amazing. He's not a better cricket player. Like he's got a, that's something. But yeah, no, that's mate. I don't, I don't even know where to start there. We, we'll, we'll be fine there too, mate. That's just it's just culture. We talk about it within within hospitality as well, within businesses. Is that in, intangible culture? We got the talent within Australian cricket. There's, we've just lost our way. We'll, we'll get it back. I don't, I don't think. Do, do you think that's a cultural issue? Rugby, though. Like, is that we've a cultural issue? Huge cultural thing. We, we've we've got uh, talent, but you need the numbers coming through. At the grass level, and you need people who bleed for the jersey. It's like when, when like when you talk about when we won two World Cups in the nineties, we did those without having to go and raid league talent. We did those without having to go and think outside. We just had a, a passionate. We knew our base and built that mm. up strong before expanding. Now we're trying to be everything to everyone, but not really knowing who we are. My, my I went to Joey's for a couple of years um, and experienced rugby there. Yep. I was probably playing in the G's, but every single year you would have 13, I was like 13s and or 14s, 15s, whatever. Mm. Um, A's, B's, D's, D's, E's, F's, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I think this may be incorrect. I went to rugby lunch last year and someone said Joey's is struggling to get teams down to kind of the D's to get Jeez. enough players to actually fill all those teams. My brother's son goes to Riverview and he's um, very mad. Union player like loves it, but that's because his dad does. Yeah, AFL's obviously really, yeah, really popular. AFL's as well. infiltrated review, but they he plays AFL on clubs on weekends, and mm. they'll get a Sydney Swan or a GWS player to their game almost every week. You know, yeah. someone will turn up, sorry, to training and hand out some free footies, and they're, just the they're, they're just smart the way they've embraced that grassroots. And, and you don't have to be iron scientist. I just don't know why it's taking so long to turn. I think. I think a bit of the old leather patches brigade in rugby holds it up, mm. you know. And you talk you talk about that link with, um, you know, rugby and hospitality people. It, it's that side of rugby that you see in pubs as well that's a bit resistant to change. Yeah. This is the way yeah. we've always done it. That old leather patches mm. brigade is like, well, okay, that's fine, but that day's been and gone. I, yeah. Agree. I totally agree. It's the old school, and this is not to be sound negative because I've got clients that sit within that yeah. space. Absolutely, and and, and but mates there's and an old school like, mentality yeah. around the way, from my perspective, the way people are treated yep. in those environments yep. at grassroots level, right up to senior management. There's, yep. um, and I think that's that's almost as big an issue um, that's stopping new talent coming into the hospitality market because yep. they see that it still is old school. Like yep. you can just get fired for um, or, or, or um, abused for hours, underpaid, yeah, yep. not given the kind yeah. of same level of respect as you would get yep. in a more corporate environment. So, yeah, it's true. You know, and, and unfortunately it's actually more consistent, um, not consistent, um, I guess a higher percentage of operators sit within the negative end of the market as opposed to... The, the positive cultural yeah. end of the market. Yeah, and, and it's hard to get in there to change it because it, it takes a lot of money to get into pubs. Absolutely. I mean, if you see usually some of the best operators that you see, the most creative ones, are usually ones who have done it on a shoestring and they've got, like, 
you know, like we were just talking about the um, Squealhouse guys, right, mm. you know, down in loading docks, back alleys, underground, done it on a shoestring, made it look great. But, you know, you see Melbourne does it well, you know, yeah. that they don't have a natural harbour like we do or a lot of these things where everything's, you know, it's as beautiful as some supermodel who thinks it's good enough that she just turns up and doesn't need to develop a personality, you know. Mm. It's like, you, you know, these sort of operators have to, you know, where you're forced to think a bit outside the box and, mm. and be a bit more clever. Whereas sometimes, you know, specifically within pubs, you've got these old generations where, well, this is how we've done it, we've got the money, we own this space and we're yeah. just going to keep on doing it that way. Um, yeah, it's it's a shame. I think the good thing is some of them uh, out there are adapting and yeah. a, a smart, out of necessity because no hey, one wants to lose their asset. Yeah. Absolutely. And environments where gaming doesn't underpin or give a security around... Um, business performance, yep. it's probably more evident where they're, they're the operators that are starting to shift a little bit more. I would yeah, well, if you're not fully reliant on gaming, you're going to be forced to, again, you know, it's like that um, necessity is the mother of all invention yeah. type mm. thing, you know. You're forced into thinking a bit more creatively and coming up, up with new ideas. It's you got like, any sort of interest in clients that are gaming-driven venues? I've, I've worked with plenty of... Um, you know, from from business coaching and sorry, from, I mean specifically on the on, um, the, on the and with Candor, clients are uh, clients are clients. I'm not I'm not anti pokies at all. I'm not because to be, but I'm not out trumpeting them either. But for my thing is, there's there's nothing wrong with alcohol. Mm. There's plenty wrong with alcohol abuse. Mm. There's nothing wrong with gambling. There's plenty wrong with gambling mm. abuse. Mm. You know, and you probably even there's a whole other discussion on drug laws, but you could probably throw drugs in there on certain yeah. ways as well. And it's like, as adults, we've got to be free to choose. We've just got we've just got to make sure that it's regulated, which it is, and we keep on top of it and we show compassion and that yeah. for, for people in the industry. I've got nothing wrong with grown adults choosing if they want to have a punt. I'm not I'm not a, a big uh, I'm I'm not a, a pokey player, but every now and then I I love it. I'm just down there having a beer with a mate, and we'll just chuck a 20 in each and have a quick slap and, you know, it's like you, you got to, sometimes you, I know it's a cliche, but betting within your means and all that, it, I've got no problem with it, whether, whether it's food, booze, bokies, whatever it is. But, you know, we, we've got, uh, we've definitely got some strong uh, gaming venues on, on yeah. our books. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people think the service cycle is different, but it's actually the same, right? Or oh, well, the principles, well, sorry, the, the service principles are the same in gaming rooms. In top Yeah, but, but you know, sometimes gaming even more so. Like you can see two yeah. gaming rooms with, with the exact same layouts, you know, similar in, environments, similar locations, and one's full and one's not, and they just know the, there's a real art to it. Mm. Um, and I know from being with, um, like we were just talking about um, Jaggy O'Hara before, and, you know, yeah. he's done that um, regional pub model and had some, uh, you know, and he, he's got a strong gaming thing there. And, you know, p- people like that, and I'd talk with uh, Matt Hamilton a bit. I'm not sure if you know uh, Hamo, but he's um, he, he's been uh, with Aristocrat for a long time and a strong, um, a long history in, in the in the pokies game. And he's, there's a real art form to it. And he, he does some presentations on can do and, and, and that yeah. as well. Like we get a lot of industry experts from... Uh, different areas uh, talking about this stuff, and it's a real, it's an art form in itself. That that service, and mm. they actually need ex- extra attention in there. You know, particularly if people are going to be sitting there ha- having a pun, having a drink. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Base principles. I, I, I 
think are pretty much the same. You know, you're trying to make people happy. You're trying to um, keep them in your venue really as long as you can so that they can spend more. Like, yeah, totally. And, and a different... like, to me, like, again, it's just so long as it's within their means. It's not, you, you can see, see the signs of people who are, mm. uh, you know, like just like a drunk customer. You, you've, you've got to be responsible with it and you've, you've got yeah. to know when to. And, again, that, that comes down to awareness and training. And I think as an industry we're, we're pretty bloody heavily regulated generally. But on that front, we're heavily regulated and, and that's cool. We should I be. think the challenge that a lot of people have with it though is that the RCG and RSA um, entitlements from employees are very different and I think that's what it really comes down to. Like, if, For example, you can cut someone off for drinking too much but you can't cut someone off if you think that they're betting outside their means. You know what I mean? And I think a yeah. lot of people find that challenging. Yeah, I, um, I agree with that. I mean, you should have a house policy in, in place for sure that you're all agreed on. If you can see the tell, um, I mean, there's telltale signs for someone who's intoxicated, right? If they're stumbling, if they're slurring the words, well, there are telltale think, signs for someone who's frustrated because they are clearly spending too much. Yeah. You know, they're hitting and, machines, they're tapping the screen. Right, there's all these things right. that they, they coach you on, but you've got no... And from a regulation right. point of view... Yeah, you could probably do more on the gambling side, mm. and I feel it's too heavy-handed on the RSA side. It's well, for me, like we've said a couple of times in this podcast, like we're drinking less than we've ever drunk. We have more of an emphasis on quality than quantity. Yeah. Now, we're still a, a nation who, who loves to hit the piss. There's no two ways about, <laughs> about it, but it's like we're doing it more responsibly than we ever have. Violence rates are actually decreasing yeah. more than they ever had. And yeah. you, you wouldn't know it to, to read the media, but but it's true. Yeah. Uh, and to me, I honestly think like when you go out, right, you look at the lockouts um, and all that sort of thing. And by the way, it doesn't affect our pups. So I don't have a dog in this fight. Like I don't, it's just looking at it. It's like you, you've got to... You, you've got to deal with these things in, in in the right way and and an honest way, but and actually look at the problem and look at the proper way of solving it. For me, when you go out here, when, when things are too heavy-handed, I honestly believe that like, you know, when they say like violence begets violence yeah. and hate begets yeah. hate. Yeah. And, that, and when you're out and you have to have X amount of security guards and you have to have this and that, you can be out with, with, with your missus and a mate and his missus and the four of you and you're out and you're well-dressed and you go in somewhere and you've just got four massive bloody security guards in tight T-shirts with muscles on muscles out, outside the freaking venue and walk between them. There are times, man, I'm approaching, I've done nothing wrong. I've had like one beer and my heart's buddy. I'm like, yeah. Jesus, what's, you know, and I'm a pretty passive guy, right? But if you're an aggressive bloke walking in in that situation and, and you've got a bit of a chip on your shoulder or something, it just happens and then, you know, you go in, you have a few drinks or you start swaying. For me, I think it was much better the idea of, okay, have a few glasses of water and you, you know, like yeah. you're not going to be drinking, have a few glasses of water and stick it out rather than, oh, you slightly slurred your, yeah. your words. Yeah. Let's boot you out onto the street with all the other drunk people. To me, that, that just doesn't make sense. Mm. That's mm. insane. Like, I don't know. I think you've got a duty of care with intox uh, people to just make, make sure they're right. And, and there are ways of handling and ways of doing it with, with, with common sense and compassion that, that, that work. I just don't believe in this idea. And also, I guess the other thing is around personal responsibility, this idea that it comes back to the venues and, and the operators. It's, mm. it's their fault. It's like, I mean, if you if you got pissed and went and got in a fight with someone or, 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 or went and crashed your car or something, that's on you. It's not the venue that serves you. I mean, you know, like this accountability mm. and ownership for the individual. If you're a parent... Um, 
teaching your your kid, it would be page one that you say, don't blame all your problems on, on someone else, accept some personal ownership for this. And I, I just don't know if overly enforcing a lot of this stuff on on the pubs is doing anyone any favours or the restaurants or the nightclubs. That's yeah, great. I mean, if you, if you were to... I remember a couple of years ago when the lockouts were starting to come in when they were, they were, they'd already, um, I guess, passed the legislation that that would be implemented randomly. And this is probably a pretty stupid story, but randomly there was like three news stories in the same week in Sydney where, people, where there were fights or um, assaults, pretty serious assaults in fast food joints. Yeah, yeah. But there's no reaction to suggest... Like, if you take the same approach to fast food joints that you took to hospitality venues, mm. the, the reaction or the outcome should be that fast food places are not allowed to trade past XPM at night. You know, they have to have all these special conditions um, placed on them. But yeah. the fact that it's just the addition of alcohol that brings about a totally different approach oh, and, and probably political agendas that are uh, underpinning all of that. Well, and alcohol is usually involved regardless, right? But but yeah. I think drunk people on the streets are more dangerous than drunk people in a bar. Totally. They're unsupervised. Yeah. You, you're around a lot of people. Uh, it, you're just not going to carry on in the same way that you are out on the streets. For me, I remember, mate, the dodgiest place from a Sydney bloke's perspective, mate, the George Street cinemas were always the dodgy place. You know, that, that strip walking along there. I got there. rolled there. I, rolled, like, yeah. I can tell how old you are. Was, yeah. was it by a bomber? Yeah, it was. It actually was. <laughs> As a man who's about to launch another podcast, the Pub Chat, the Pub Chat, the Pub yep. Chat, yeah, yep. uh, I've done. Uh, I've done a bit of podcasting back in the day, uh, mainly around uh, rugby. But um, the Pub Chat is actually—it's not hospitality related. It's more uh, just the idea of honest conversations in it, somewhere between like uh, Joe Rogan and Andrew Dent, and like an Aussie sort of version of a Joe Rogan, but. Set in pubs, uh, we film it in, in at Misfits, and we just get interesting and well-known guests. And quite a few have already uh, signed up already, but who I'm not allowed to uh, mention. But just uh, sorry, right, you can mention my name in public. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you can compare yourself to Joe Rogan and Andrew Dennis. Influences, influences. This one, I'd say, is a mix between the Tim Ferriss and yeah. the uh, yeah. Tony Robbins podcast. I would say at least. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. When I said it. Dave Andrew Dennett, I was going off more physically, like looks-wise, <laughs> you know. I was like, I wasn't rapping. Come on. Uh, no, but like that that sort of style. Um, but, yeah, and we're uh, yeah, filming it over a beer. Mind you, you, you guys are onto it already. This has been great. A C- couple of beers. Uh, mm-hmm. And now we're drinking whiskey out of wine glasses. This is, this is <laughs> classy, yep. classy, classy stuff. Classic, classic. <laughs> yeah. So with all that pedigree, though, what uh, you got any podcasts you're listening to at the moment uh, or books that you've read that – Well, so there's a reason I said Joe Rogan. I, I, yeah, I listen right. to his yeah, yeah. Uh, podcast a lot. I find him fascinating. I have listened to uh, your guys a few times. I'm actually – because I don't listen to – like I listen to podcasts a lot, but I only listen to two or three. Yeah. Uh, I listen to, uh, to you guys here and there because I, I love when people are, you know, talking the same language. It's cool. Yeah, um, uh, yeah Joe Rogan, that one's fascinating. Uh, you guys are going to laugh. Oprah Winfrey has a great one called Soul Sessions. Really? I, I've got a bit of a hippie spiritual side to me. That's <laughs> a lot of it. Oh, just I- interesting. A lot of it's just good spiritual uh, conversations about stuff that matters to me outside of 
of just whatever we're we're doing. Right. Um, and just being her, she's got uh, and it, it's a little less contrived than the TV show. But she gets some fascinating. Oh, she would have like it. some yeah. some of the 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 books that, that I love, like guys like uh, Eckhart Tolle, you know, from The Power of Now, and, mm. and guys like that. Really interesting. Um, Philosophical and spiritual. Yeah, well, she'd have amazing pulling power in terms of guests. You would have thought. Yeah, and uh, you know, like the, the guests are <laughs> way more interesting. <laughs> she, she gets some. She gets some uh, pretty cool people on there. But um, yeah, I'd say uh, I listen to uh, yeah the Joe Rogan one most of the time. That's pretty yeah, cool. nice. And in terms of uh, books, the last book I read actually was that um, uh, Jordan Peterson book, that Twelve Rules for Life. Good. I'm mainly a non-fiction reader, but that's a pretty cool buddy book. Tour Rules of Life. Check it yeah. out. We'll link to it in the show notes. Well, it's only like a New York Times bestseller, so like you know, they like, check it. It's like some <laughs> obscure. Like. <laughs> um, a favorite album or artist right now? It's, it's not right now for me. I, I'm pretty old school, boring. Like a very mixed eclectic taste like and everyone says that but I, I really do actually within within the groups I do our music guidelines for our venues oh, do you? Mm. and uh they call me DJ Creep within the group. <laughs> that's another story. That's awesome. Mark Chapman, you know, Chapo yeah. from Round the Royal, he, he dubbed me that's DJ Creeper. I know, right. <laughs> no, well, there's a much less sinister story behind it. But, um, yeah, so I do that and they're all, all pretty mixed. But my favourite artist would generally be... Uh, I'm still like an old school. Like the best music was in the 60s. I, I, I still mm. love uh, Credence. I you were going to say 80s. And, oh, mate, I love the 80s. So this one, I mean, I love music for music's sake. But I listen to like we're Credence not and, TV shows, text. and the, <laughs> the, the Beatles and, uh, mate, everyone else is just playing catch-up as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. <laughs> very good, very yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, a man with such experience uh, as you have across hospitality must have tasted every beverage known to man. Is there anything that's uh, tickling your interest beverage-wise right now? I've traditionally been like all I ever drank was beer and red wine. And then I got really crook and the doctors told me that the two drinks I can't have a beer and red wine, so that's awesome. Um, so these days I drink, see this one over here on the shelf, the Montenegro. Oh, yeah. I, I love like mm-hmm. an Italian digestive after yeah, right. a meal. Just put on ice, slice of orange or like um, it, no, it's good. breaks down your food after the end of the meal. It's not that alcoholic, so you can have a 1,000 of them. <laughs> and um, That's mate, important. Yeah, well, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, well. You know, when you're drinking, I drink quick when I get excited. Yeah. So it's like I need something <laughs> a little. Yeah. <laughs> so I need uh, I need something a little less. And uh, mate, I've I've got most of my mates onto it. My old man and I drink it a bit, and uh, it's very good. Yeah, no. And I and I've I've got into the scotches lately. Very good. Last few and, years. And um, well, and I'm Seedlip will be disappointed to hear that they've been displaced <laughs> as the. I just most, thought of Seedlip. You know, it's a uh, most most announced brand on this show, Montenegro. What, sorry, what was it's, this? I missed it. I, I just thought of it because it's it's kind of the same proposition, but your at yours it has alcohol, right? Like, so you're having a lot of them, so and you want to experience the moment, but not get too pissed. Seedlip's not alcoholic. Gin. This is this one, Mike Enright, and that we're talking yeah, about yeah. on, uh, yeah, yeah, four yeah, billion dollar non-alcoholic gin. That's right, yeah. four billion. And we just keep consistently name checking it, um, and people think that the show is sponsored by sponsored Seedlip. By, yeah, <laughs> um, I've, I've had that before. You got to be, yeah, people. <laughs> but I found that interesting, actually, from a business point of view. They were saying how. Um, you know, 
oh, I can't remember the figures, but they charged five bucks for it. Didn't do so well. Charged yeah. ten bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. It's off the shelves yeah. because people now feel like they're having Pretty a drink when it's they're amazing, not. Isn't like it? that. Yeah. Here I am now talking about this product. You guys are sponsored by. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we can't. You can't use any of your venues in response to this question. But um, is there a favourite venue for yourself? What or something, you that that before, something, something that inspires you? Before. Like. Um, because, mate, the Glenny's my favourite venue. Yeah, well, uh, well, I can I say, safely say it's in my top five favourite circular key-based venues in Sydney. <laughs> in the Rocks. <laughs> no, but we've done our <laughs> we, 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 have, we, have, we have used... Rooftop venues in the Rocks. <laughs> we, we have... You we, nudge out Palisades. <laughs> Just. <in the> <laughs> we, have, we have used your um, your rooftop a couple of times for the pub awards, so, um, you know, we This is fair. true. This is true. Um, oh, oh, of the moment, I'm... Uh, I moved up to Avalon for about eight months, and mate, that that Bert's at Newport that is like I love a long oh, yeah, lunch, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think uh, <laughs> mate Bert, Bert's has done a, a great job with, with setting that environment. I've been quite enjoying that. Nice tip, nice yeah. tip. Um, and uh, I'm very interested in your answer. To this is there someone in the industry who you're most inspired by? Um, you know what? I honestly think we've. Because that's probably the one I haven't really thought about. I think we've covered it during this mm. this podcast. I mentioned uh, Marty Shorten and Jaggi O'Hara, Sean O'Hara, quite a bit. With those guys, um, just working with them, they're both very passionate. Uh, they just they care a lot. Um, for me, you can have so many bloody imperfections, um, but passion can override all mm. the different details. We, we talk a lot about one of the most important things is like look at a lot of venues where we, we say, oh, the staff, they have a gas problem or the owner has a gas problem and it's like they don't give a shit, you know, like that's the, the yeah. whole thing and it's like the ability to give a shit and care overcomes a lot of things and they're good like that. And I and I said before, I think those Swillhouse guys are, are very clever. I just like the way they find, um, you know, cheap uh, sort of venues that anyone else would neglect but get, uh, get them at bargain basement prices and then create such a, Environment there that that draws people there. Um, yeah, I think they're I think they're pretty impressive too. Yeah, and for anyone who's listening, there's a new venue for them, Alberto's. It's mm. opened up in the Alberta space, and uh, Jason Scott is now in New York and has opened, I believe, Grand Tivoli. And oh, I've forgotten the name. Big Peppies might be the bar downstairs. So if you're in New York, uh, in uh, not 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 Big Puppy, uh, not Big Papa. No, not Big, big Poppers. In, in your thing, Big Poppers. Oh, and no, I was thinking of Dylan Napper. No, you, you, know, you call me Big Puppy. No, right, a lot of the uh, guests will know this. You guys won't. Yeah, right. Okay. Here we go. They serve hamburgers and nothing else. <laughs> well, on that note. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that took you a while, man. <laughs> Mate, I reckon there, there will be listeners to this who would have got this straight oh, off. Yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 maybe. Has been a pretty reasonable afternoon. Thank nice you, Stone and Wood. Thank <laughs> you, Glenn Morangi. Oh. Thank you, especially DJ Creed. You've been So, Luke, hmm. what'd you get out of that one? Uh, I guess, look, thinking about um, one thing he said which really struck a chord, and it was fairly early on in the chat, but just about the fact that he started Can Do, I guess it was born out of frustration, which I thought was really interesting. We probably didn't dive into it heaps with him, but um, he's obviously been frustrated not only by what's happening in his businesses, because he could solve that, you know, 
quite easily. I guess if you could you invest less time than he's in spent in investing into can do and solve that problem for himself. But he, he's, it's, I would assume he's been frustrated by what he's seeing in other people's businesses as well. So he's actually gone out there to try and create a solution for the industry as opposed to just his businesses, which I, I quite respect. You know, I think it's it's not just sitting back and accepting what's happening around him in, in a sector as being right. So it just, I don't know, it, 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 it underlines a real passion and care for the industry that he's working in, which I think if everyone employed that same level of passion and care, the, the sector would be, you know, a much, much better place for it. So that's, that's what I really took away as a positive. Yeah, and it's a, again, we didn't maybe didn't go into it too much on the podcast, but there is a number of online training platforms uh, in, in the market now. Yeah. And it's a, one would term it as a, people see an opportunity there. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to get a bit of a understanding about that and, and his one in particular. And the thing that I was taken by was recognising, I guess, transients of workplace, of, of workforce, sorry. Um, and that can be both uh, from drawing from international pool, uh, I guess a relatively junior unskilled labour um, perspective, or indeed, um, you know, people just starting off in their first roles here. Mm. And I think that, again, as you said, repeating you really, it's like... Uh, yeah, adapt or die, isn't it? Really, like you want to want to. You can look at a problem and try and think of a solution, and then um, and then make it. Which sounds like it's coming from the right place with Kent. So yeah, I found that was pretty pretty totally. pretty interesting. But then the pub sector can be at times accused of being dominated by old school mentalities, you know. So to see what who is or what is a, a younger generation of publican taking a different approach only really bodes well for the future of the pub sector specifically and hospitality as a whole. I think. Yeah, great. And, uh, mate, give us a bit of insight as to what you've been working on lately because I think there'd be a lot of interest around that. Yeah, no, it's getting pretty to the pointy end, isn't it? Um, election at state level, um, 23rd March, and uh, our Nighttime Industries Association is uh, has gained momentum, uh, members joining uh, out of hospitality uh, alongside others uh, out of that sector. Um, and we have a, a pretty... Um, I guess detailed, focused um, campaign um, that we'll be launching um, mid-Feb. Yep. Um, that I guess tries to go to the heart of what's the issue here, and the r- real issue is not only one of government regulation, but one of uh, us not necessarily thinking about the importance of having a nighttime culture that we all enjoy. And you know, yeah. and so our, our campaign is going to be targeting consumers really and uh, reminding them of the importance of the nighttime and to get out and enjoy you know, these great offerings that Sydney has, otherwise they may not be there. And, uh, and then, of course, we'll um, take the engagement with that and turn that into political speak and lobby government with um, uh, to improve on their policies. Both the major parties have come out with policies, which is good. Yeah. Um, you know, my job really as the chair of the Nighttime Industry Association is to uh, dial up the scrutiny on those and, and do the best we can to get them to commit to the best policies possible ahead of the election. So, yeah, um, there'll be plenty more to talk about um, and uh, I'd don't think you'll be able to um, miss uh, the media cut through that this thing is going to get. 